Is everybody ready for Christmas? Got all your Christmas shopping done? No? Some people not? Nope. Well, you know, it is early, so I guess, I guess we, still, we still have a lot of time left. Um, <clears throat> last week, I showed you my gingerbread house, which was this right here. Um, however, during the week this week, it, the bread dried out and started crumbling, and by Saturday, it, it had crumbled a lot, and so there was no mold on it, which makes me think a little bit about this bread I've been eating. <clears throat> but nonetheless, I decided to kind of upgrade the gingerbread house, and this is what I've done. Just used a hamburger bun and some other stuff. And we also had this bread, for some reason, that when we got, it looks like a tooth. See that? On the side, it looks like a tooth came out of somewhere. I don't know why. I guess it just got squished or something on the way home or something. But nonetheless, had to redo my gingerbread house with new bread. So there you go. I don't know if that's the best way to make a gingerbread house or not, but there you go. All right. This morning, we are starting part two of Who Invented Christmas? Um, <clears throat> this is really a three-part sermon. You got the first part last week. You get the second part this week. And the fourth sermon in the series is actually just a standalone sermon. So this is like the middle of a sermon. The reason I split it up is because I felt like, Jimmy, that nobody would want to be here two hours. Wouldn't you say? So I thought maybe if I split it up and made it a little more in chunks, that would be great. Um, who invented Christmas? Well, last week we told you man did. Man created Christmas. God does not have Christmas in the Bible. Um, he does not talk about Christmas in the Bible. He just sent his son. But somewhere down the line, there was a group of people in a church that decided that that was a major event that should be celebrated. The problem that they had was they didn't know when Jesus was born. So they decided that he, we'll celebrate him on December 25th, and we'll celebrate John the Baptist's birthday in the middle of July, meaning that John the Baptist's birthday is the longest day of the year, and then things begin to go, days begin to get shorter. And the 25th is the shortest day of the year where days begin to get longer. And it comes from that Bible verse that says, that John says, hey, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. So they placed it on the calendar in that particular regard. It is not really connected to the, to the winter solace because that's on the 21st and 22nd. The reason that they put it on the 25th was they wanted to remove themselves from that celebration, and they wanted it to be all about Christmas, so all about Christ being born. So that's, that's why it is there, and that's why uh, we celebrate it today. It's actually something that they proclaimed, and literally all across the world, there are Christians celebrating the birth of the Savior, and I think it's a remarkable moment. There are two events on our calendar where the world... Christian-wise, gets together and they celebrate. One is Christmas, so unified throughout the entire world, we celebrate Christmas. And second, unified throughout the world, is Easter, Easter Sunday. So I, I think that's an incredible sort of thing. Um, we also talked about, even though we didn't say it this way, that the whole Old Testament builds up to the point of Jesus' birth. That is the beginning of the crescendo of what God is trying to do in the world to redeem mankind, to free people from their sins, to free people from slavery. And so that, that is what he was, he was doing. And God was intentional about it all, we talked about last week. He just went up in heaven and thought, well, this might be a good idea now, 
and we should do it now. No, long before he created the first tree, the first animal in the ocean, fish in the ocean. Um, well, there are animals in the ocean, I guess. Every summer, I see animals in the ocean. They go in and out, you know. Not the people, okay? The dogs that go in and out of the ocean, I see animals in the ocean. Nevertheless, he created all this stuff. And, and, but before that, he knew what was going to happen. He had the foresight to know what was going to happen, and he planned Jesus to come to save the world from their sins. So with all that said, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. That's where we are. Yeah, that's not going to work either this morning. It's one of those days. Matthew chapter 2. I'm in Kings. Going to Matthew chapter 2. Is it warm in here? Or is it me? I'm, I'm hot. Okay, Matthew chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 1 says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. A couple, couple things about this particular text. First of all, if you have the wise men near your nativity at home, it is biblically incorrect. They were not there on the night of his birth. They went to a house, and they saw him at a house. So if you come to my house, I have biblically correct uh, nativities at my home, right? It took me 10 years to get my dad to move the wise men out of the out of, the, out of the thing. Oh, come on, I'm having a little bit of fun here, okay? But I, I think there's something to knowing that the wise men were not at, with the shepherds on the night that Christ was born. They came later than that, and they went and they visited in a house, 
And, and that is what happened, happened back then. I know it's a strain. I know, the, I know the wise men, man, they look really nice. They're really gold and glittery, and they really make that nativity pop out like something significant. But really, they, they just went in there. So every time you look at a nativity with the wise men in it, just know they, they went in there. They, they went in there. I'm waiting for the moment that someone creates a little boy Jesus and a Mary and a Joseph and the wise men all around them. I would buy that and put it up in my home in a skinny minute. But nonetheless, there you go. Second thing about this, there is this star going on here, okay? So for, for centuries, people have been trying to figure out what this star is. I want to show you a couple of things, okay? There are a ton of theories. This is Leo the lion, um, and that is Jupiter. And this is on 2 A.D., September 11th at 5.30 a.m. He, Jupiter is over a star called Regulus, and it appeared in the star, and when this happens, it is really bright. Now, I've never seen this one, because this has only happened once or twice in the history of astrology, but I have seen Jupiter come close to Regulus and be almost like this, and it's really, really bright. And so some people think that this is the moment that you know, the people from the east saw this particular thing and they thought, ah, it's the line of the tribe of Judah and there's a star that's really bright right now and something significant has happened. We need to go to Jerusalem. That's what what they would have thought. Here's a couple other from the past. This is on 1 AD, February 19th at 5.32 a.m. It's Jupiter and Leo the lion, or the line of the tribe of Judah, is going down below the horizon, and Jupiter is right next to Regulus, which would have made a bright star. Next, this is August 1st. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not A.D. The other was B.C. This is A.D. 1 A.D., August 29th, 12.56 p.m. Here's Leo the Lion and Venus in the same kind of location. Now, Venus is just as bright in the sky as Jupiter is. I don't know if you know anything about, or you look up in the sky every now and then, but they're just as bright. So this is where it is on that day. Next screen. This is Venus and Jupiter actually together in the sky at night. And so this is a theory of possibility what that star is. I'm here to tell you, they're just theories. They're just theories. The problem with that one is in this text of Scripture, the Bible always gets in the way of a good theory. Right? Always gets in the way of a, a good theory. It says in verse 10, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, they went from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. That is a north and south direction on the map. Stars do not travel from north to south on the map. Those planets go from east to west every night. I've watched them many times. They go across the star. I don't know which way east is. I do when I see them in the sky. But they go over the same direction because the world is turning and all that kind of stuff, right? And so the problem with that, that particular theory is that it doesn't match Scripture because when they went back out, the, travel, the star traveled from north to south. And I'm not beyond God just creating a star for these people to see. He could have created something. And it just traveled across the, star, the sky as he wanted it to travel across the sky and then was gone, right? And I don't exactly know who it was. So 
I say all of that to say this. There are a ton of other theories about this passage of Scripture, probably more than any other of the Christmas story. There, there's an army that comes to, to Jerusalem and sets outside. These people, these wise men, they knew um, Daniel in Scripture. Maybe ha- they had some connections with, with Esther in Scripture and the Jews from the East and Persia and the Babylonians and all that kind of stuff. The Scripture doesn't say anything about any of that. What if for the next few moments we just kind of in our minds just got rid of everything that we think that we know about the wise men and just set it to, side, to the side and just looked at the scripture and just looked at what the scripture said about this moment. There are some things that are not mentioned because God didn't want you to know because he's trying to give us a different sort of message. Are you, are you tracking with me? He's trying to give us a different sort of message. So what exactly is going on here? Okay, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. The first thing that we know about these guys is they came from the east. That means they did come from the Persian, Babylonian sort of area, and they tracked across and they followed this particular star. The second thing that we know about these people is that they are magi. Now, this is the word for magi in, in the Greek. It's magi or magoi, which is that one. It's magi. Magi means sorcerer, magician, wizard. In other words, these aren't three kings. These are sorcerers, magicians, and wizards. These are basically the people that you see in in Scripture that that come up to the king when he's trying to get some type of spiritual counsel. In Daniel, he he calls the sorcerers, the magicians, the wizards to come and give him insight on what he needs to do, Nebuchadnezzar. And then they couldn't, and they called Daniel to come. Sorcerers, magicians, and wizards. Now, there's... This is only used, this word is only used in two places in Scripture. It's used six times, but only in two places in Scripture. Here's the other place. This is Acts chapter 13, verse 6. It says this, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Pappas, they came upon a certain magician. That's Magi, Magos, which would be the singular. A Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jewish. Now, I want you to notice a Jewish what? False prophet. These guys were not the people that you needed to be around. This is like, have you ever seen those, those houses that has the hand and they say, come on in, we'll read your hand? These are those people, okay? These false type of prophets, magicians sort of deal. Here's the next place in Acts chapter 13. But Elamus, the magician. The Magi, the Magi, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. These are not the sort of people that you would ever expect would take a journey from the east all the way over to Jerusalem 
to see a Savior that was born? This answers this question. What about those who have never heard? This answers that question. How in the world do these people know? Well, I think it's Daniel, but we really don't really know, do we? Well, I think it's Esther. Well, I don't think we really know, do we? What if God just appeared to these wise men and said, hey, there's a star, you need to go see my son, which was born. What if he had done that? There was something that happened in a spiritual way that caused these wise men to pick up everything that they had, pack everything up and put it on a camel, because you know all the nativities have camels, so obviously that's what they brought. Put it all on a camel and walk all the way, or ride their camel all the way, ever how they went, all the way to Jerusalem to try to find this king. There was something significant that said, hey, you need to go. You need to go see this God. What about those who have never heard? You know what? God takes care of those people. That's the answer. I don't know how he takes care of them, but he takes care of them. I've heard of missionaries that go to, that go to a tribe that has never, quote-unquote, heard of Jesus Christ, and the whole tribe comes to know Jesus as their Savior because somebody in there was seeking God. The Holy Spirit was already at work, drawing them to God. So, so God takes care of these people. Here's the better question. What about those people that have never heard around you? That's the better question. Because, see, we can't do anything about the people that have never heard. I can't do anything about it. You can't do anything about it. Only God can. But you can do something about the people around you that have never heard. It is very striking in our, in our environment, in our culture, in our, um, these are not the right words, and it's not coming to me, in our area right here around Farmington, in our community, that's the one I'm looking for, in our community that do not know Jesus. They don't know it. They pass by our church, and they might know that he's the one that's in the manger, but they don't know his significance. They might have heard his name in the hallways of a school because someone shouted it out when they got hurt or they were just upset, or they may have heard it on TV, or they may have heard something like that, but there's a lot of people that really don't know who he is. The better question here is what about those who are close to us that have never heard? What is our responsibility for that. Second thing about this that is kind of interesting. I think it's interesting that they came from the east, which means that they were a long way from the temple in Jerusalem. Right? And back in the Old Testament, quote unquote, the presence of God was in the temple in Jerusalem, in the Holy of Holies, right where the Ark of the Covenant was. That means the closer you were to the temple, the closer you were physically to God. Not only that, these people came from the east. The temple was the place that all the copies are the majority. Let me put it this way. The majority of the scriptures were contained. So the closer you were to that temple, the closer you were to God, the closer you were to his word. These wise men were far away from his word and far away from his presence here on earth. However, they were just a breath away from the God that created them. And it seems that the people that were the closest in the temple and that had the Bible were the furthest away from God. 
Why do I say that? Well, in this passage, Herod the king, who lives in the town, wants to kill Jesus. He doesn't even understand who Jesus is. As if you can kill God without him laying down his life. Right? Are you, are you following me? Unless you can do that. So he was trying to kill him. But it's not only Herod. Because I can, I can, I see politicians and I can see how they don't believe in God. Come on, I, I can see how that happens. I can see how normal people do, but I can see how politicians do that. I know that was sharp, but that's true. Second, in the second verse, it says this, saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have saw his star when it arose and have come to worship him. Look, these wise men went to the capital of the country to find Jesus, the king. It made sense. This means that either the star was gone that night and they didn't see it, or it was during the daytime when they arrived. They entered, they said, well, where is the capital? The capital is there. And they went to where the king was. Verse three, and when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes and the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him because they had the scriptures and they were close to the scriptures. In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They had the scriptures. The magi, these magicians, these sorcerers, didn't have the scriptures. They had the scriptures, knew exactly where Jesus was going to be born, and they totally missed it. Not only that, it's when, when the magi went to Bethlehem to see Jesus, Nobody in Jerusalem went with them. The religious people in the temple that were the ones that were closest to God and had the scriptures didn't go. Because God is in our temple in the ark. He's not in Bethlehem. This goes against our traditional way that we believe that God works in the universe. He is not in Bethlehem. Bethlehem isn't even a prominent city. It's dirty and, ugh, and why would he be there, right? And so nobody went except for these wise men. Furthermore, it is amazing to me that when they made it to Bethlehem, these wise men bowed down and worshipped Jesus who are the people that are supposed to be bowing down and worshiping Jesus? It's the people that go to the temple every day. These people in Jerusalem did not go with them. And second, I don't know, I don't know why the star was there. You must have been able to see it in the sky, right? So did they just look up in the sky and say, oh, that's neat, and they go on with their lives? And they knew about this star, but they didn't really try to figure out its significance? They didn't try to figure out what it was? They didn't try to figure out if the Bible had said anything about it in, in Scripture? We don't really only have one Scripture in the Bible that has anything to do with the star being a part of Jesus' birth. Did you know that? It's, did you know that? It's in Numbers chapter 17. Forget what order I put those in. 
It says, yeah, 24:17. It says, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It's the only one. Remind you that the people that had the scriptures, that had the temple, were the furthest away from God. The people that didn't have the scriptures, that were just looking for something, in a godless world, God was just a breath away. I think there's a lesson here. What if you and I are like the people in Jerusalem? We think that we're close to God because we come to church, and we think we're close to God because we read the Bible, and we think we're close to God because we do this, and we think we're close to God because we do that, and we think we're close to God because we stand for this, and we think we're close to God, but in all actuality, we're not even close to God at all. We know the Scriptures, right? We, we have the Scriptures. We have many copies of the Scriptures. I have 35 Versions of the Bible that I can read on my iPad. 35. What if we're the ones that are missing Jesus? And what if the ones that don't know much but know they're missing something are the ones that are closer? I just want you to know, I plan, and I know you know this, I'm just going to say this for a point here that was kind of unexpected. I plan my sermons out a year in advance. I have no clue what is going to happen to you or in society or in this church a year from now. Nick approached me last week. Nick has relatively little experience in church. He came last week with Caitlin Walker. He heard the message of the scripture. He is in all intents and purposes and everything that you learn in school about all this, he hasn't been here long enough to receive Jesus. He needed to come a few more times. Right, are you tracking with me? And, and there's certain things, steps that he needed to go through in order to do that because we have a whole system on how to bring someone that has never been to church along the way in order for them to you know, receive Jesus as your Savior. This is what happened. He approached me about baptism last week. We talked about it. He came in the door this week thinking that baptism would save him this morning. We had another conversation about it. It clicked with him because the Holy Spirit is at work. And he went into room 116 and asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins and for Jesus to be his Savior. That is not the way that it's supposed to work, but I'm glad that it works that way. Come on. He is from Lexington where God has chosen to put barbecue. He's from Lexington. He goes to West Davidson High School. He's going to graduate this year, right? He's going to go into the National Guard. That's his dream, is to go into the National Guard and sign up for that. And somewhere in the last couple of weeks, God has called him by the Holy Spirit, called him to this church to last week, and to the moment this, moment, this morning for him to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. He is our Magi. I'm not saying he's a sorcerer. I'm not saying that he's a magician. I'm just saying he's our Magi. What if God works differently than how we think he should work? What if God 
can work any way that he wants to work to bring people to himself. What if we don't have the corner on truth? Let me qualify that. This is the corner of truth. I do not own the Bible. The Bible was given to me. What if we and our ideas about church and our ideas about how God works is just a little bit off and in fact, in the way that we do church, we wind up missing God in some way. Or in the things that we push for in church, we wind up missing God in some way. Or the way that we run church is, is somehow we miss God in some way. I don't want to miss God. The problem for me with this passage of scripture is I am the one that has the scripture that works in the church seven days a week. I do not want to get to where I miss God. I want God to be a breath away from me. I desire for God to reveal himself to me and show me what to do and guide my life and guide the way I work and guide the way I live. And I am sure that you desire the same thing. Do we come to church for God to be a breath away to guide us? Or do we come to church so that that church can fulfill some sort of need that we have? See, I believe that the people in the temple, they were going there because it provided some sort of need that they had. That's why they missed Jesus. We have people sometimes that that decide to leave churches and they go to another church because the youth program's better, they do more activities, there's more fun stuff going on, there's more perks, there's more whistles, there's more bells, there's more this, there's more that. What if we are missing Jesus and all the bells and whistles of a country club church? What if there's something more than pizza after a service? What if there's something more than if we were entertained during a sermon, during a lesson, during a worship environment? What if there's something more than just coming and having church the way that we want it? What if there's something more or someone more that we can experience that is much better than anything we can conjure up to entertain or attract people? What if church is really about God revealing himself to us rather than us revealing ourselves to him? Come on. What if church is the place where we seek Jesus and we want Jesus to be one breath away so that we can experience him and get our hearts right with him and follow him during the week? What if the number one thing that we should be going for is for God to show up during the service? The one thing that we should be going for is, Lord, we're inviting you here today. We want you to be among us. We want you to talk to us. We want you to change us. What if it's not the music? What if it's not the version of the Bible? What if it's not the way that we dress? What if it's not how we do everything? What if God is really real and wanted to have a personal relationship with you and wanted to do things differently? I want that. The things that God does when he moves far exceeds my wildest imaginations every single time he moves. 
every single time. And here, we have the religious people missing Jesus. And we have the people that were supposed to miss Jesus finding Jesus. So, I might put it to you this way. Well, no, not yet, not yet. Okay, so, you need to go here. This is what you need to do when you go home. And I'm dead serious about this. If someone came into your home today and they looked at your Christmas tree, would anything on it point them to Jesus? Anything on it? If, if you went into your house right now and you had your Christmas decorations up, is, is there a manger scene? Not that we have an idol, but is there something that points people to Jesus? Is there something in your home that when your relatives come over this year for Christmas that would point them to the Savior? When you go and you do your 23rd, 24th, 25th, ever how you do that this year, is there something that happens with that meal that, that would point people to Jesus who is the reason of the season? Or are you going, decorating, getting the presents, going to those particular events and totally missing the Savior? Totally missing him. It is so easy to do in our culture because what has happened is the culture knows that Christmas is a Christian holiday and they have been trying to remove Christ forever from it. And they've done a very good job of doing that. It's been attacked and attacked and attacked. And in our homes, we need to have the presence of what the holiday is really about. It is about Jesus. We, the ones that should have found it, should be finding it. I am glad when the ones that shouldn't have found it finds it. I want that to continue. But what I want us to do is to make sure that we are the ones that should find Jesus and we are finding Jesus. That we're not the ones that are missing it. Here's another point. We know... What we know is God announced the birth of Jesus to the unexpected, that would be the wise men, the magi, and used them to announce his birth to the expected. That's what he did. So when that birth was announced, the expected people that should have responded, that should have gone to Bethlehem, didn't go. And the king that should have gone to bow down to the king of kings and lords of lords, didn't go. He sent an army to destroy him is what he did. God announced the birth of Jesus to the unexpected and used them to announce his birth to the expected. I want to tell you something that God has announced to you today. And you probably, has probably been announced over the course of this year because it's amazing how many baptisms we had. But with Nick being baptized today, the unexpected has announced to you that Jesus is still in the saving business. Still in the saving business. I believe with all my heart that last December when I put this on the calendar, God knew Nick was going to be saved. He knew it. And I'm not trying to raise Nick up. I'm trying to raise our Savior up. Don't miss that significance.
we know that God announced the birth of Jesus to the unexpected and used them to announce his birth to the expected. Next screen. So, after listening to the king, verse 9, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, it it is amazing that a star would go from north to south, and they knew that. But here's what's more amazing. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. I don't know how much these wise men knew. They didn't have all of the scriptures, obviously, because they didn't know he was going to be born in Bethlehem. These wise men knew very little in comparison to what we know about Jesus, our Savior. And they came and they bowed and they worshiped because they knew that that birth right there, that son right there, was worth celebrating. It was worth lifting up praise to Almighty God. Every time we come into this place, we desire that Jesus would reveal himself to us so that we can bow our hearts to him and worship him, so that we can give him the honor that he is due. When we come into this place, we lay down whatever hurts and whatever feelings and whatever um, weight we have carried during the week and we lay it down. We bow down to the one that keeps us living and gives us strength to make it through each week. We come to see Jesus. We come to worship Jesus. We come to bow down to Jesus. Here are people that knew very little but bowed with what they knew. We know much and we need to bow with what we know. Amen? We need to worship. How many times do we try to find Jesus for what he can bring to us and give to us and do for us? How many times do we try to find Jesus for what he can do for us rather than just trying to find Jesus so that we can experience him? If you are experiencing Jesus and and looking to experience him and for him to reveal, nothing else matters anymore. Nothing else matters anymore. Let's pray.